Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Rich, for those of you who don't know me, uh, and it's my pleasure and privilege to be leading us through um, this next part of our meeting together today. And what that's going to look like um, is that we're going to continue a series that we've been in for a couple of weeks now, um, which is in the book of Genesis, and particularly the first uh, three chapters of Genesis. And so that's the first three chapters of the entire Bible. Um, and we've called it Home Origins, because essentially what we've been looking at is how the home that God creates for us to enjoy here together as humanity provides the pattern for the home that we now are to build together as a community. Uh, and last week, we kind of rattled through the first six days um, of creation. It's kind of a whistle-stop tour that Adrian took us through. And then today, we're kind of quite aptly, quite appropriately slowing down a little bit, which has been kind of something of the message that came through uh, through worship. And we're going to be looking at just one day and the seventh day, uh, the day of rest. Um, and so this is what we read in Genesis uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And I've called our talk today, Rhythms of Sabbath Delight. And as we go through, I'm going to unpack each of those three words in turn. We're going to look at rhythms, and we're going to look at how God builds structure and order into the very nature of the universe. We're going to look at Sabbath and what that word is all about, what it means and what it means for us, and then delight about what it is to delight in God, to enjoy God, and how that is the very heart of what God wants for us as we rest. Um, and as we do all of that, we're going to kind of trace the theme of Sabbath, the theme of rest through the big story of the Bible and see how we can apply it as a pattern uh, to our own lives and to our community here at Oasis. And so as we saw last week, creation is built with a certain poetic rhythm that flows right throughout the first chapter. We saw that um, the story of Genesis is not primarily trying to answer the question of how God created, although that can often be the kind of mindset that we come to the text with. The questions it's trying to answer is, who is this God who has created everything, and why has he created it? It is first and foremost about God's revelation of his own identity through creation. And the rhythm that we see in chapter one is birthed in the creative word of God. That's what we see day after day, the same thing again and again. God says, and it happens. God says, and it happens again and again. And that rhythm and order is built into every single day. There was evening and there was morning. The sun rises and the sun sets. The tides come in and the tides go out. That is a pattern that echoes uh, and rhythm through all of creation. It, it comes from both the macro and the micro, even in our own bodies. Every moment, our breath being drawn in to our lungs and breathed out. There's a rhythmic quality to all of creation that we see, that we're built with, that is intrinsically part of everything that goes on in the universe and that we are invited further into, that God declares good each and every day. And as Mike looked at in the first part of our series, the Genesis story is vastly different from all the other kind of ancient creation stories that were about at the time. All of them to uh, tended to focus on life emerging out of chaos um, or out of battle. It's a struggle. 
for power. What we see in the Bible is a God of love from whom love flows outwards to all. It's what we've been enjoying together, God's tender love flowing out to all. And the early church and the early church fathers and mothers had a word to describe that. They called it a perichoresis, the dance of God. And there's that sense that within God's complex identity of father, son, and spirit is this community of love almost dancing together. There's a rhythmic quality to the very nature of God himself, dancing together, inviting others in continuously, pouring love out to all. And if anybody has seen me dance, for example, that would not be the impression that they would be left with. Um, But if you've ever seen someone who's actually good at dancing do that, or anyone who's ever heard a kind of perfectly synchronized orchestra performing will know that order and rhythm is not something which is flat uh, and formulaic. That Actually, there is a freedom that comes from order and rhythm and flow that produces a beauty and a wonder and an awe that is unlike anything that could emerge out of chaos or struggle. And that is the rhythm that we see in the story of creation. And so, just as a musical rhythm will often lead to a crescendo, a moment where the notes and the instruments and the movements all come together in a peak, so too is this rhythm of creation leading to a crescendo, and that's what we see here on the seventh day. All of this has been going on day after day, a rhythm building up and up and up, and then this, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. This is what it's all been leading to. It's all been coming to rest. Do you notice how in that passage that we looked at, um, that rhythm that we've seen, the rhythm of evening and morning that was threaded throughout the whole first chapter is absent. It's almost as if uh, with the time of work over, the time of rest has begun and it goes on from this point. There is no end to it. It goes on and it flows out from this moment on, endless and infinite. And that's how it might have felt for humanity. As we looked at in the story, humanity is created at the end of day six. They are placed in the world as God's image bearers there. And what do we see on day seven? The very first day of humanity's existence on earth is not God kind of cracking the whip and telling them to get on with it. The very first thing he invites us to, the very first thing he gives us on our first day is rest. It's the first gift that he gives us. It's a rhythm of rest that is to characterize us moving forward. And it's not that we are to never do anything that's described as work. As the story progresses, as we'll see in the the weeks to come, God gives us instructions on how to care for his creation in order to multiply life and cultivate beauty. It's that our starting point is not work first and then rest when you're absolutely exhausted and you really need to. It's rest and then work from that place, live from that place, be from that place. And on one level, that might just sound like a semantic difference, But when we get hold of the rhythm that God is trying to teach us to live with, it changes everything. You know, just like our bodies are built with that inbuilt rhythm, our hearts beating again and again, 
our lungs taking in air and breathing them out, so too is your body built for a rhythm of resting and working. It's built into your DNA. And that's why when we find ourselves forgetting to live from a place of rest, pushing ourselves to the edge of exhaustion, it starts to hurt. It's not what we were created for. And actually, that's what we see all around us. The fruits of that are throughout our society. There is a a crisis in our culture that stems from a restlessness which seems to be built into the very fabric of the way that our lives are ordered. And H.H. Farmer writes this, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. When we look around us at our work-obsessed culture, our productivity-centered society, when we see the brokenness and the exhaustion and the anxiety that are so present in our communities, we see the splinters of what happens when a world goes against the grain of what God has declared very good, what he has made, the rhythm and the order that he has built. And therefore, there is an invitation for us as we be the church, as we build community, as we build home together to model something different and to invite the world around us into something different, a place of rest that we were always intended to know. And that is what Sabbath is all about. See, to help his people get hold of that rhythm, to embed it in their lives more fully, God gives us a gift of Sabbath. And Sabbath is a word that can come across um, as a little bit old-fashioned or a bit legalistic. It's something that we're not very familiar with. It's not a word many of us probably use very often. But in essence, it just means a day, a 24-hour period when we do three things. When we stop our work, when we do things that bring us rest, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally, and when we give ourselves to enjoying God and the good world that he has created, those are the key principles of Sabbath for us to stop, for us to rest, and for us to enjoy God. And when we get hold of those three things, it helps us to strip away all of our preconceptions, all of our misconceptions, and get to the heart of what Sabbath is all about. And this is something that I've really trying to be uh, learning more of in my own life, exploring more of in my own life, because I know it's something that I've not really been very good at. Um, There are moments I know when in my desire to um, do more and be more and achieve more, or even to just try and keep up with all of the things that I think I need to do, I've come to the end of myself, and it's only because of the grace of God and the kindness of others that I haven't totally fizzled and fallen out. And for me, I know that a, a key turning point came as I was um, listening to a podcast by a guy called Pete Scazzaro, who's the author uh, of an incredible book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he makes the point that having a day off does not equal having a Sabbath, that they are not the same thing. Actually, you can have a day off or several days off or every day off and never have a Sabbath. I know that was true in my own life. I was having lots and lots of days off. I was having plenty of time off, but I wasn't really Sabbathing. We were made for Sabbath 
not for days off. It takes something different, something intentional. There's an intentional act that needs to take place, a day of stopping, a day of resting, a day of enjoying God's goodness and the good world he has created for us. It's not something that we can do by accident because we're so out of kilter with the rhythm of the world that God has built. And as the biblical story unfolds, we see a couple of key places where God highlights this as a discipline for his people. And that is in the 10 commandments. It's God's basic framework for how we are to live and relate uh, to him and to one another. And first of all, we see it in Exodus and then again in Deuteronomy. And both of those two verses, both of the way it's presented in those moments, have a slightly different flavor that highlights different aspects of what Sabbath is all about and how we should apply it in our own lives. And so we're going to look at them both this afternoon really quickly. And so first of all, Exodus. This is what it says in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but on the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the first thing that I think is really telling about that passage is that um, the Sabbath is in there at all. And so I don't know how many of the Ten Commandments you could kind of name off the top of your head. Um, But if you were to do that, maybe the the big ones that might stick out for us, the ones we kind of know and a bit more familiar with, things like don't murder, um, don't steal, don't worship idols. Those are the kind of big things that we know about. And then all of a sudden we have this popping up in there as well. Take a Sabbath day. And it can seem a little bit like there's a bit of a false equivalency going on there. Like, don't murder someone, take a Sabbath. Like, is God saying, those two are the same thing? Am I, is that what I've been doing wrong? And I don't think we necessarily need to see it quite that way. But I do think that there's a rebalancing that we maybe need to do about the importance of Sabbath in our own lives. I know that's something I've had to do in my life. And I know it's something I've still got a long way to keep doing. But throughout the whole biblical story, the idea of Sabbath, this rhythm of rest that God builds into creation, is a major theme that echoes down through the ages, but which we seem to spend comparatively little time on compared to some of the other things that have a much smaller place in the biblical story. And as we can see in that passage, it comes all the way back to the creation account. That's what it's rooted in. Our rest is rooted in our imaging God to the world. It reflects both the ways that we are like him and unlike him. We are to be like him in resting. So as God rests, so too do we rest. And what is God's rest? We looked at it in the first week. God's rest is delight within himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, the dance of God, and it's delight in his creation. That's what we're invited into, to enjoy all that he has made for us in his good creation. The link back to Genesis to remind us of everything we looked at last week, that creation was declared very good by God. He has completed his work. It's similar to what we see in Hebrews 
um, particularly in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, where Jesus, having completed his work of new creation through his life, death, and resurrection, everything he achieves on the cross, it says in Hebrews, he sits down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. There is a work that has been completed and a rest that follows naturally on from that. And our rest, therefore, is an opportunity to share in that finished work, though we have contributed nothing towards it, to look with joy on creation and new creation and echo those words, it is good, it is finished. Sabbath reminds us to look back and see that God's world was made to be good. It teaches us to look inwards at the goodness of the new creation life that Jesus has won for us on the cross. It inspires us to look outwards to all around us, our call to cultivate and create that new life, to bring healing and hope and wholeness to our communities. And it causes us to look forward, offering a taste now of the final lasting rest that Jesus promises that he will one day bring to all creation. That's the picture that we see right at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 21 and 22, a world at rest at last, a world with no mourning or sickness or crying or pain. That's the world we're all hoping for because we know that our world is restless and it needs peace and rest. That's the future that is coming and it's a future that we get to image to creation now as we enjoy the new life that Jesus has placed within us by his spirit. And at the same time, Sabbath reminds us of the ways we are unlike God. It reminds us of our finiteness and our limitedness. But as we stop, we recognize that God is the one who is running the universe and not us. Jesus says in John chapter five, my father is always working and so am I. And there's this sense that even in his rest, God is doing more than we ever could. Even in his rest, God is holding together all things. He is sustaining everything in all of creation. Atoms and energies and planets and galaxies and stars, all of it is being held together by the power of his word and sustained by him every moment. That's what happens when God is resting. It's a moment for us to confront our own humanity and allow the world to keep turning to see again the bigness of God and remember again that it's not all down to us. It's a freeing thing. It's a liberating thing. We don't run the universe. I don't run the universe. And that's very good news. Not just for me, but for the universe. It's an invitation we're invited to each and every day, a, a mini Sabbath as we lay our head down on our pillow at night, as we fall asleep. We allow the world for several hours at least, to keep turning without our intervention. So that's a couple of things that kind of stuck out to me from the Exodus passage. And now we see a slightly different flavor when we come to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is essentially um, a big preach by Moses at the end of his life. Um, and the people of God are right on the cusp of the promised land. They're about to enter into everything that God has promised for them. And Moses is summing up all of his teaching so far. And this is what he says 
about the Ten Commandments. See if you notice the differences in this one. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your ox, your donkey or any of your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And it's quite striking, isn't it? The justification that Moses gives this time around is totally different. Rather than being based on um, the creation story, the creation account, Sabbath is based on God's rescuing of his people from slavery in Egypt. His whole um, act of bringing them out from under the thumb of Pharaoh through the wilderness and to the cusp of a promised land. They are right about to inherit everything that he has given to them, that he has promised to them. And God says again, when you take Sabbath, remember this. Remember who you were and remember who you are now. It's, it's all about identity. For 400 years, the identity of the people of God was wrapped up in what they did. It was wrapped up in their slavery and their oppression and their captivity. And even after they'd been set free, it took them a long, long time to understand that freedom. 40 years wandering in the desert was barely enough to scratch the surface because their identity was so deeply rooted in their slavery. Free people can rest. But even though the Israelites had been physically set free, they were still in bondage. Their hearts might have been free, but it's almost as if Pharaoh is still in their bones. He's still embedded deeply within them. And we're not that different. That's what we're singing about. That's what we're celebrating, that our identity is in who God has made us to be. He has called us and named us his own. He has brought us through the sea and given us a new name, declared us to be his children, his people, his family. But so easily we can default and fall back to seeing our value and our identity in our productivity or our efficiency or our achievements. And even more than that, there is something deeply rooted within us that tries to turn us away from God and the goodness that he has for us. That's what the Bible calls sin. It's the product of a fallen and broken world. And what we need is both to be set free from that, which Jesus has done for us fully and completely and wholly in his finished work on the cross, but also to learn to live in the fullness of that freedom. That's what Jesus talks about in John chapter eight. He says, if the son sets you free, if he sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Free not to be just set free from the power of sin and slavery and death, but free to know your freedom, free to live in the goodness of your freedom. That's what Sabbath is all about. It's about learning to embrace our freedom and live from that place of rest 
in a way that the Israelites never quite got. Free people can rest. We can rest. Sabbath is an invitation to receive that which God has done for us supremely in Christ. It is a declaration that we are free, that I am free. I belong to God. I am a child of God. My identity is not in the amount of work I'm doing or the size of my paycheck or what people think of me. My identity is in a living God of love who has called me his own, who loves me apart from what I do. And so when we Sabbath, when we stop, it is a subversive act which takes a stand both against the tide of culture and against the legacy of Pharaoh, which is still in our bones, which is still in our habits and our routines. The reality is I know I am a habitually restless person. I'm a habitually worrying person, a habitually working person. I need to become a habitually Sabbathing person instead. And that's not just for me, but for the whole world. Actually, that's the point of what we see in verse 14. It's not just about receiving rest, it's about giving rest. That was the emphasis this time round. Why do we rest? Why do we stop others from working on the same day? It's in order that we might give rest to others. We might bring rest to all those around us. That just as God gives rest to us, so too are those who are made in his image to give rest to others. It's a gift that we've received that we are to pass on. And the danger is, if we start to get obsessed with what we can and can't do, we end up like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. A group of people so wrapped up in rules and regulations that they couldn't see that when Jesus came amongst them and on the Sabbath day was healing and bringing life and hope and freedom couldn't see that that was true rest. That was what the Sabbath was always to be about. It was always to be about God coming and being with his people and giving them what they need and helping them to learn to live in the freedom of what they had received. They'd missed that the heart of Sabbath was all about delight. And Eugene Peterson uh, illustrates this with the analogy of a house uh, which has a window overlooking a magnificent view. You know, picture the kind of place you might see on grand designs um, if they ever like, actually manage to finish it. You know, somewhere with like, an incredible vista before them, rolling hills and snow-capped mountains and tranquil lakes. Imagine living in that place and several times a day you just walk past the window and you stop and you gaze out at what you can see and you just wonder and do delight and awe in the beauty of the creation around you. And then one afternoon, imagine you notice something is on the glass. Maybe a, a leaf has blown up and got stuck on there. Maybe there's some mud that has splashed up. And so what you do is you get a bucket of water and a sponge and you go and you clean the window. You clean it until it shines again. And then on another day, you have some friends over to visit you and they too come and see the window and they look out on the wonderful view before them and they marvel at the awe that is before them. 
So much so that they get really close to the window. In fact, they get right up close to it. And before you know it, there are finger marks and smudge marks all over it. Your friends are barely outside the door before you're picking up the bucket and the sponge again and you're cleaning them all off. You're restoring the window again. Suddenly, every speck of dust becomes an enemy to be defeated. And so you start to build all these systems. You accumulate uh, ladders and buckets and sponges. You construct scaffolding all around the window so that you can get to every last corner and make sure it's always spotless. You put like a fence up on either side of it so that nobody can get too close to it. Nobody can mess it up. You have the cleanest window in the whole world. But before you realize it, you've forgotten to actually look through the window. Instead of the magnificent vista, instead of the magnificent view, all you can see is the glass, the next speck, the next smudge, the next spot. That's what had happened to the Pharisees in Jesus' day. That somewhere along the line, what started out as a movement to enjoy the goodness of the law that God had given as a gift became an obsession that crowded everything out in a mess of rules and red tape and regulations. They'd stopped looking through the window and delighting in what they could see. But the answer, as Jesus came to show, is not to get rid of the window, is to start looking through it again. It's to strip away all the stuff we've surrounded ourselves with, all the stuff that has clouded our vision, and see and appreciate again the beauty of what God has freely given. That's why Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the perfect representation of God's love and goodness and grace given to us that we might know perfect rest, true rest. We are to delight in God and in what he has made and declared good. Our culture uh, is so delight deficient, so quick to criticize and slow to celebrate goodness and truth that we end up associating delight with sin. But God is the author of delight. He is the creator of a beautiful, wonderful universe. He has given us five senses with which to enjoy all the goodness that he has created, the sights, the smells, the tastes of the world around us. He has made it all as an overflow of the loving delight that he has always enjoyed as Father, Son, and Spirit. And he's given it to us as a gift to enjoy. If we miss delight, then taking a Sabbath becomes a heavy thing. It becomes a bondage, a weight around our necks. But when we taste the goodness of Sabbath, it is pure joy and delight. That is how we are to receive it, as a gift. That's what Jesus says. You were not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for you. It was made for you. It was given to you. It's a gift for you. And so how do we get started? How do we do this? How do we build these rhythms into our life? Here are a few questions to ask ourselves that I think might be able to help. Question one, ask yourself, am I taking a Sabbath. 
You know, that's a simple question. Maybe it's one you've never thought of before. But what I found for me that um, was that question, are you taking a Sabbath, was a bit like a fuel warning light on a car. If the answer is no, it's an indication that there are some rhythms that I needed to start building into my life in order to help me go deeper with Jesus. Maybe it's the same for you, that just as we would think about it in the same way uh, in terms of things like prayer or worship or Bible study, that whether or not we're taking a Sabbath, whether we are intentionally putting aside a day to stop our work, to rest and do the things that bring us rest and to enjoy the goodness of God and his creation. Question two, ask yourself, how can I transform my day off into a Sabbath? And for you, the way to do that might be to abstain from certain things. It might be to stop doing certain things on that day that alongside the essentials of stopping work, there might be other things you want to purposefully give up, whether that's a technology or social media or whatever it is. For you, it might be an opportunity to add extra things in, whether times of prayer or worship or silence, even that will help you draw closer to God and to hear from him. Question three, ask yourself, how can I mark the Sabbath to set it apart as distinct? Work out what 24-hour period will work for you. Or if that's a bit of a stretch to start with, start with 12 hours and build up from there and find a way to mark it, find a way to set it aside as distinct. You know, I find that um, doing it evening to evening uh, is a better rhythm for me than morning to morning. It means that naturally one of the first things I do as part of my Sabbath is I go to bed and fall asleep. I physically rest. I find that a helpful discipline. It's something that echoes what we see in creation. There was evening and there was morning. Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 6, that the day we choose to do this doesn't really matter. Um, it's the act of giving it over to God, setting it apart, is what makes the difference. And so maybe you want to uh, set an alarm on your phone to remind you. Pick a time and do it from there to there. Commit to praying at those points. You might want to do something else. You might want to uh, mark it on a calendar or light a candle to symbolize the start and the end. Do something to set it apart as distinct, just as God sets apart the seventh day as holy. Question four, how can I grow in delight on my Sabbath? As we've seen, it's not just the stopping, but the delighting in God and in his good gifts that mark Sabbath time out as different. You know, for me, my Sabbath uh, is a Monday. Um, I do it uh, Sunday night to Monday night. Uh, and one of the key elements of that uh, is playing football on a Monday night with a bunch of other guys. Uh, and for some of you, you'll be thinking, playing football sounds like the least restful thing you could possibly do. Uh, and it's true that it's kind of physically tiring, but at the same time, I know that for me, that's something I find incredibly refreshing mentally and emotionally. What are those things for you? What is it that when you do them, you just come away feeling, oh, it's a breathing out moment. You feel rested and restored and renewed. Find those things and build them in. Sabbath is not about not doing anything. It's about stopping and then resting in the things that you enjoy doing and enjoying the world God's made. And finally, ask yourself, who can help me with this? We need one another to help us as we grow in this. And we need to give ourselves grace as we learn. 
the Israelites did not get this right away. We have wired our bodies, our brains, to work. Deciding to live with Sabbath, to embrace Sabbath, means we need to rewire our bodies and our brains to rest. And in the short term, that might show itself up as guilt or shame, a feeling like you have to be doing something. And we're going to need help with that when those moments come. Perhaps your work is not a kind of clearly defined nine-to-five job. Maybe it feels more like a 24-7. Maybe you are a stay-at-home mum or dad or a carer or something like that. You're going to need help from your family to craft time for a Sabbath. Maybe it's something you can do together as a family. And that's something we can help one another with, serve one another with, love one another with. But regardless of your situation, for all of us, we're going to need others to come alongside us and help us with this. So someone we're going to be following up this week in our small groups. I really encourage you, use that as an amazing community and opportunity to keep one another going deeper and enjoying more of everything that God has given. And so that's a few questions that I hope will help us to increasingly get hold of Sabbath. And I know that the more I've enjoyed it personally over the, next, uh, over the last few months, the more convinced I am that if we are to grow and mature in Jesus, this has to be as fundamental to us as reading the Bible, as praying, as worshiping together, as all of the disciplines that we looked at actually in our PACE series last summer. That Sabbath is not about forcing ourselves into a new legalism. It's about practicing rhythms of Sabbath delight that do us good and do the world around us good as well. And so I want us to end today with a physical sign of what Sabbath is all about, a physical sign that Jesus gave to us that we might increasingly come to know and enjoy and receive his rest and his goodness, and that's in communion. See, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it, and he took wine, and he poured it out. And as he did, he gave us a meal that points to the work that has already been completed, a work that he has spoken over, it is finished, a work that we are invited to simply rest in. That's what it means as we take the bread and the juice. We rest in what Jesus has done, and we say, nothing else is needed. And at the same time, as we eat and drink, we remember the freedom and the wholeness and the life that we have in him, true rest in Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. And we receive it again. We drink it down, we eat it up again. And as we take communion together, we look forward to a greater rest that is to come. You know, as they were in the desert, um, the Israelites shared a meal and they ate manna together in the wilderness while they waited to step into the fullness of the promised land that awaited them. And so too do we share a meal in anticipation that one day Jesus will come to renew and restore everything, to bring complete rest for everyone for all time. That is the invitation of communion. That's what we celebrate as we eat and drink together. And it's an invitation that is open to everyone. 
Uh, in a moment, we're going to go to the back and get a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. And if this is a moment for you to say yes to Jesus, if this is a moment for you to say, yes, I want to receive everything he has for me. Yes, I want to receive this rest that he offers me. Then I invite you to take a piece of bread and a cup of juice and bring them back to your seats and then we'll share it together. If this is a moment when you're sat there and you're thinking, you know what, that sounds great, but I'm not sure I'm quite ready for that. I'm not sure I quite want to commit in that way. Then this is a moment of rest for you too. It's a moment maybe for you to not take anything, but rather to just sit and receive again, to maybe pray for God that he might reveal himself to you in this moment. And so that's the invitation that's on offer. That's what we're going to do right now. And so if that's an invitation you want to receive, why don't you head to the back, get a little cup of juice and a piece of bread, bring them back to your seats, and then we're going to share them all together in just a moment's time as we finish. Great. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we take the bread, we stand together with thousands, millions around the world in sharing this meal and in declaring as we do, yes, we receive what you've done. Yes, Jesus, we celebrate in and enjoy your finished work on the cross. And just as we can taste it, just as we eat it down, so too we know that all of the words you've spoken are true, that this is what you have done for us and this is what you have given us. That's what it means when we eat the bread together. Why don't we take it now? And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Taking the cup is a proclamation. It's a proclamation of what God has done, what he did right at the very start, the rhythm he built into the fabric of creation itself. It's a proclamation of what he will one day do, that that rest he has built into creation, he will one day bring about wholly and completely and fully for all time and for all people. That's what we celebrate as we drink. Let's drink to that. And so Jesus, we thank you in this moment now, we take the opportunity again to pause to receive from you all that you have given and all that you have done. We thank you for all that you have won through your life, death, and resurrection, the rest that you have given to us that we 
can now know and enjoy that is to characterize us from this point on. And we say, God, we receive it. We receive the revelation of your goodness that you've poured out to us. We receive the identity you've given to us as your children, free people who can rest in you, who can live from that place, who can live inviting the whole world to come and taste and see the goodness of the rest that we have in you, that we know and enjoy in you. I pray we'd know that more fully. I pray that we would build that more fully into us as a community. And I pray that we would each be equipped to build it and show it and reveal it in the unique places you've put us in the week moving forward. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.